It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. On June 8, 2023, Casey White was sentenced to life in an Alabama prison for his escape the previous year with Vicki White, a senior corrections officer at the jail. Today, we cover the breakout that garnered international attention from those who knew her and had to put personal feelings aside to apprehend her and Casey White. Welcome to Chasing Evil. I'm Chris Gotzik. Today, we're in Florence, Alabama, back on the trail of Casey and Vicki White. As a reminder, Vicki White, who had 16 years of experience as a Lauderdale County Corrections deputy, essentially threw her life away by helping Casey White, not related, a 6'9", 333-pound inmate serving 75 years and awaiting a capital murder trial. They ran off together, and an 11-day manhunt ensued. We've covered the manhunt more extensively than anyone could have in the media with the U.S. Marshals. Today, we're going to discuss the case on a more personal level by those who knew and worked with her. We're going to delve into details that have never been discussed before. And it's fascinating. Why did Vicky do this? How could she? And what were the red flags that everyone missed? Today, we'll answer some of those questions. So let me welcome to the podcast, Scotty, who is a veteran of Chasing Evil, and a supervisory inspector for the U.S. Marshals Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force. Good afternoon. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. You know, if you say that enough around here, eventually someone's going to invite you to Thanksgiving. That's, that's kind of what I found. We have Sergeant Matt Burbank, who is a supervisor for general investigations of the Lauderdale County Sheriff's Office, and a, um, I probably the resident fashion plate, I would say, in the office. That's what they say. There's no video, and yet uh, Sergeant Burbank came in a very dapper uh, suit and tie, and that was not emulated by the marshals. Roll Tide. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Chris Connolly, who is the district attorney since 2004 of Lauderdale County. Welcome. Thank you. Now, you have a lot of accolades to your name, but there's one question I had that perhaps you're going to say it's too personal, but I noticed that you did your undergrad at Auburn— you well you say that but then you did your law school at the university of alabama so on game day which side of the fence are you on no question about it i'm war eagle oh Uh, okay i'm the seventh of nine folks in my family who went to auburn my my oldest brother was a veterinarian so he went down there and we all kind of followed in line okay wow when i got into law school called my dad to tell him hey i got in alabama and he said look just tell people you got in the state law school it just happens to be in tuscaloosa (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, well, I, I was wondering, but you are you are very decisive. Well, now that I'm elected, I am. When I ran for office, you can play it both ways. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me hear you say Roll Tide. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are going to jump, you know, right into this case because, you know, you can look at the people involved. Certainly, we're going to be concentrating on Vicki White right now. She's a 16-year veteran and did something so incomprehensible that I find most of the people around here are not mad at her. They look at it as more of a tragedy and they're just couldn't be more sad. Matt and Chris, you, you knew Vicki and worked with her. So describe your relationship with her and describe Vicki. Well, you know, Vicki, I knew her since becoming DA and she was the go-to person at the jail. And if you needed something from the jail, you needed somebody brought to court, she could make it happen. Uh-huh. Um, and I really think she exploited that when, when this came together with Casey. But you mentioned not being mad at her. I, I've been mad at her. I mean, I've been right. sad. I've been mad. I've been a lot of things. Right. When you heard about the escape, what was your initial reaction? Did you think that there was a possibility that she could be involved? Or did you think that it was he duped her and it's a, it's a kidnapping? I thought it was a kidnapping. I mean, fairly quickly, though, we learned that it wasn't. And how hard was that for you to comprehend? That was the shock of, oh, my God. What in the world? Now, you knew Vicky quite well. Very uh, well, uh, yes. over, over the years. So how would you describe her? I think Vicky was a very compassionate person. She was that type that looked for the best in everybody, even the inmates. You know, everybody has faults, but everybody has a, a good side to them deep down. And I think that was probably ultimately, you know, what led to her downfall was that, that she seen the best in, in people and even Casey. Was there anything in her personality looking back that you would say, yeah, now, okay, I do understand it. Or it's still a complete shock to you. It's still a complete shock. I, I, I never would have, you know, I would never have seen this coming at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't want to believe it, you know, at times, even though the evidence, of course, was overwhelming. Uh, I still am shocked because that's not the Vicky that we all knew at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is usual, but Chris, you came into the case quite quickly. And you knew when he escaped that at the very least, you were going to have one big charge on him, Yes. Correct. What is the charge and what is and he would have been charged with escape in the first degree, which is a B felony. He's got all those priors, so he'd be looking at life or life without. Already, everyone knows, including you, that there's no reason for him to go back. Right. There's yeah. no light at the end of that tunnel. That's right. So you know he escaped, so it's not going to be particularly hard to prove that? Yeah, it'd been real simple. He was here and he's not. So, you know, that was that would be real simple. Okay. Um, but the, the, the role I had while they were, you know, they set up the command station in our grand jury room and we're working out of there. But number one, stay out of the way. Uh-huh. But number two, you know, if you need search warrants or you need subpoenas and all the things they were doing, that's, that's where we provided assistance to them in the investigation. So I just want to say one thing on what Chris was saying as far as our relationship with the DA's office. We are blessed and fortunate to have such a good working relationship with them and have an outstanding district attorney. Uh, Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. You know how I feel about you. So 
Lay it on thick. But uh, I, you know, Chris has a difficult job, especially in presenting cases to a to a jury. Mm-hmm. So any kind of decisions, any any evidentiary, anything that's going to affect uh, that trial that will be coming up, uh, you know, we want to run that by him. Um, he's the one that's got to present that. So we want to make his life as easy as possible when it comes to that, because he does do a lot to make our lives easier in the investigation. So it's a it's a mutual respect. Right. Right. And. When you realize Vicky is complicit in this, do you start thinking about charges that, that you may bring against her, or you're going to yes, just wait to absolutely. see how this develops? Uh, no question about that. Once we found out she was involved, I mean, she was, she was, we had a warrant for her as well. Right. And that would have escaped first as well for being an accomplice to that. And what kind of sentence would that have carried? That's a B felony, so it would have been 2 to 20. I would like to add something to that. You know, Vicky had no criminal history whatsoever, and maybe, um, you know, she felt like it was the end of the road for her. But in all, you know, actuality, I mean, this is something she could have recovered from later on in life, you know, yeah. I feel, um, because, like I said, she had no criminal history. Right. Um, and I wish she would have chose differently. Right. Scotty, thanks a lot for joining us today. I know you came right from the airport in Birmingham and drove right to Florence, Alabama to make this podcast. So thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. I know that you had something that you felt was really important to say. So I want to make sure that you had uh, the opportunity because I know there were a lot of people working on this case. I led the manhunt on the manhunt side, but Sergeant Burbank, uh, with the Lauderdale County Sheriff's Office, he led the investigative side. He was the one that's going to have to prosecute this after it was all done. We worked side by side, day in and day out. He was there with us the whole time. Had it not been for him assisting us, we couldn't have done what we did, and I don't think he would have been able to prosecute if we weren't involved. Well, that's exactly yeah. right. So when you look in the dictionary to see the meaning of bromance, yeah, yes. I'll see a picture that's of it. you two? Yeah, yeah, it was okay. a bromance. We're, we're both Alabama Crimson <laughs> Todd fans um, as well. So. Real, real Todd, right. So we go from bromance to romance, and <laughs> we're going to go into the Vicky and Casey timeline not looking at it from the standpoint of the manhunt, but really how they developed their relationship and when did they meet and how could this have happened and try to answer some of those questions. The answers have eluded a lot of people, including those who knew her best. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. We'll start on August 3rd, 2020. Casey White is booked into Lauderdale County Detention Center on a warrant for murder. Yeah, that's correct. So 
at the time, um, right before that, Casey was at Donaldson Correctional Facility uh, where he wrote a letter. Lauderdale County is a small jail. and Donaldson's Donaldson. a maximum security prison. Okay. You know, worst of the worst offenders. So Casey writes a letter uh, to some investigators back in Lauderdale County uh, confessing to the murder of Connie Ridgeway. Investigators follow up, interview Casey. Uh, he again confesses. Based off of that, you know, the case is presented to a grand jury. Casey's indicted for the murder of Connie Ridgeway. Therefore, a warrant is issued for the offense of capital murder. So when the, the a warrant's issued for the offense of capital murder based off the grand jury indictment, so Casey is brought up. He is booked into the Lauderdale County Jail for that warrant of capital murder. Uh, okay. So that's that's when he first come to Lauderdale County Jail was, like we said, I think August the 3rd, 2020. And he meets... Vicki White. Correct, who's the assistant director of the of the detention facility here in Lauderdale County. So she's the number two. Number two. She's one of the ultimate bosses. She has a lot of say-so, and she tells people yeah, she, how things are Yeah, she pretty done. much, uh, you know, just like with any organization, you know, it's not necessarily your number one that runs an organization. It's your number two. Right. Uh, so, I mean, she pretty much ran the jail. Right. Okay, and she's had 16 years of experience. A very well-respected employee, great at her job. Okay. So... She meets Casey White. Correct. And there's some speculation about what might be the thing that he said that would interest someone. Now, she's been there for 16 years. She's come into contact with countless numbers of inmates. And I think it's safe to assume that along the way, many of those inmates may have made a very complimentary statement to her about her, oh, look, I'm sure, about her looks, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, we found out at that time that uh, Casey may have given her a, a compliment about her physique, mm -hmm. and uh, I think she was probably flattered by that. Right. So at this point, let's go into Vicky's background as to why at this point in her life she would be flattered by that and open to a relationship that she wouldn't have been for the last 16 years. Vicky, prior to that, had fell in love that we know with, with men two previous times in her life. One was like a high school sweetheart type situation um, that she just, you know, really doted on, fell in love with. Um, and Vicky was, and she did not tolerate any drug use whatsoever. She did not believe in drugs. She was very anti-drugs. Mm-hmm. So her husband at the time got him mixed up in some drugs and she left him. And that, you know, by all accounts, broke her heart. She was just devastated that she's lost the love of her life to drugs. Yeah. Uh, so several years goes by, she kind of builds a wall up around her heart, doesn't want nothing to do with any kind of relationship, lets that wall come down, and she falls in love again. Uh, several years later, um, her and this guy get engaged. And shortly after the engagement, he's killed in a car crash. So she's lost two loves now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think she was very, you know, uh, damaged uh, when it mm -hmm. came to, to the love department. Right. Um, and so she, you know, I think at that point kind of swore off all men again for a while, uh, which, you know, of course, can lead to loneliness. Right. Um, so Casey being a... Um, like all inmates, have a master's in manipulation. Mm -hmm. He took advantage of that. He knew that. You know, he could see some of that stuff, you know, in Vicky, whether it's conversations she had with maybe other employees right. or just, you know, the, the look on her face. They, they want to 
uh, take advantage and exploit those those situations with guards. And do we know if the other men in her life, if Casey fit the profile of the other men in her life that she was attracted to? I would think so. You know, there's always, you know, girls like the bad boys. Uh, Vicky, I think maybe when she looked at the bad boy, she could say it to herself, I can save him. And that's the kind of personality she was because she thought she could save everybody, but especially, you know, him, you know the bad boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, I think uh, Casey fit kind of into her profile. And so they develop a relationship as you can in a small jail facility. Correct. And do we think at this point they developed into some level of physical intimacy? I believe it's very, very possible that that did happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to understand that Vicky had the keys to the jail. She was in charge of so much. She could, you know, she if she wanted to have a relationship uh, with with an inmate or, or whatever, she she had the keys to make that happen. She could facilitate that very easily just based off of her job duties. Right. And to me, it seems almost impossible because you're in a jail, and I know it's small, but how do you arrange it so that you have, I mean, practical intimacy with someone? So if your supervisor comes to you and says, I need you to go do X, Y, or Z, and I'll do your job for you right now, they were going to do it. So it was very easily for Vicky to pull guards away, uh, go send them on errands, you know, maybe send them to lunch, whatever the case may be. And, and she would say, I could watch this section right. of the jail. So. And what did she do with the other inmates? Uh, so that cell that Casey was in, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of inmates in there, just a, just a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things Vicky could do was she had the uh, ability and the power to pull inmates from the cells, especially send them to, say, rec yard, you know, which they get once a day. They get to go out for an hour a day. Um, and our understanding is, is when that would happen, you know, Casey would remain in the cell by himself and all the other inmates would go to yard. Uh huh. And Casey's cell was designated some kind of special cell by Vicky. Yes. The cell that Casey was in, um, she had actually placed a sign on the door one day and it said that no inmate was to be placed in that cell without her approval. And when asked about it, she would say, I only want people in this cell that gives us no problems, that's, that's good inmates, that we ain't got to worry about, uh, something, you know, stuff to that effect. Right. So she, she designated that sale, her, her, the, I'll tell you, the workers called it Vicky's pet sale. Pet sale. Pet sale, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, and at the time, there were no cameras in that cell, right? No, the way this jail w- was built, you know, it's an older jail, so... I'm going to interrupt you also and say, because you told me this, so if you do happen to find yourself in Lauderdale <laughs> County Detention Center, do not yeah. take notes because everything has changed. Everything has changed now. <laughs> so so <laughs> their procedures are completely different, <laughs> and uh, none of this will work, but this is the way it was at the time. Correct. So, so at the time, yes, you know... Uh, we didn't have as many cameras. Um, and there were still, you know, uh, a plethora of cameras. Right. But, uh, you know, it's even more than that now. So um, one of the things we looked at, you know, after this happened was identify blind spots, which we've now fixed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, yeah, there was there was some blind spots there at the time. Okay. So around October, you get a piece of intel from inside the jail. Correct. So we were notified now. You got to understand, inmates are always wanting to rat on other inmates if they think it's going to help them out, and they want to give the information up. Uh-huh. You know, that, that's, that's there's no, no fear of being quote the snitch. Um, 
I don't think so. As long as you know, if it that, helps them, if it out, helps them out, they're going to do it. Use so, it. So, um, you know, an inmate will rat on another inmate. That's you know, that's a fact. Right. Um. So yeah, another inmate did come forward and say that uh, Casey was planning an escape and where he may you know take a hostage. Uh, and he's, he may use uh, what we call prison shanks or, or jail shanks, which, mm-hmm. you know, is knives. Um, but he had some homemade knives that he was going to use and try to facilitate an escape at that time. Right. And you guys searched the cell and found what? We did find two two shanks. Okay. So that plan could have possibly happened. And there was some rumor that he was even going to take Vicky hostage. Uh, that and, was a rumor, yes. And walk her out Correct. at knife point. Correct. Okay. So, therefore, on November 2020, so he's been there about three months. Three months or so. Casey White is sent back to Donaldson Correctional Facility. Yep, he needed to go back where he belonged. Mm -hmm. And while he's at Donaldson, you start noticing more communication. Yeah, so we we later found, you know, after uh, he goes back to Donaldson in November 2020, that's when the communications started between Vicky and Casey. Uh, through jail calls at Donaldson Prison. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Right, and they spoke 96 times. 96 times, which I know probably sounds like a lot. That does sound like um, a lot. But, you know, Casey was making, you know, thousands of phone calls. Uh, so 96 was really actually a very small wow. percentage. Now those calls increased later on. Um, I didn't know you could have a phone on demand yes, in they, jail. Yes, they do have a phone. As long as they've got money uh, on their, their phone account, they can make phone calls. So. Okay. So 96 calls occur between November and March of the following year, 2021. Correct. And Casey White then returns to Lauderdale County on a court order uh, having to do with the murder charge. The murder of Connie Ridgeway, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is where you come into your first contact with him. Yeah, that's my real first contact with Casey. Um, So during that time, one of the things that they wanted to do was start prepping for trial. Of course, defense attorneys wanted to visit the crime scene with Casey, which is where I came in. I transported Casey, uh, and I want to, you know, kind of say, when I transported Casey, it was per the policy because I'm a sworn officer, unlike Vicky. So we had a policy in place that only, you know, sworn law enforcement transports a murder suspect. Uh So I did transport Casey at that time, uh, me and another deputy, and we transported him out to the murder scene of Connie Ridgeway. Uh, where he met his attorneys and the, and the district attorney and some uh, SBI agents also. Okay. What was your first reaction to Casey? That is a big old guy. Oh, my gosh. How tall is he? <laughs> um, okay. I, I, I am a cigarette smoker, so when we was out there, I would smoke a couple of cigarettes every now and then. And, of course, he was always, hey, let me get a cigarette. And he was even trying to con me out of a cigarette, right. which, you know, I told him no. But, um, you know, he's, he's just definitely a, a con guy. So Right. People can strike you different ways. They can be scary. They can be manipulative. They can be friendly, right, uh, inmates toward law enforcement? Yes. Um, you know, he tried to be friendly because, like I said, with me, he was wanting a cigarette. Right. So he was going to be nice and try to butter me up, which didn't work. 
Right. But, you know, he, he was real nice to me. But then once, you know, he seen that he wouldn't get the cigarette from me, then, you know, kind of shut down with me and right. wanted nothing else to talk to me. But about when you had him out, your spidey senses weren't tingling like, look, this guy may make a break for it or something. Uh, no, not really. Okay. Um, you know, we had him shackled up. Um, you know, he wasn't going nowhere. I mean, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We, were, we were right there with him the entire way. So. Okay. okay. I didn't, had I known, if you'd have gave him that cigarette, he may have never escaped. Maybe <laughs> so. Maybe it's, maybe it's my fault. <laughs> so uh, that's March 5th when he returned back to Lauderdale County. And then in August, he's sent back down to Donaldson because you don't keep people for that long at Lord, in Lauderdale. And the phone call frequency increases. At this point, the phone calls really uh, increase um, and, and, you know, get more graphic, more detailed as far as their relationship with each other. You've actually heard the calls. Yeah, so so a funny story. Um, when I first got these phone calls, I listened to the first eight or ten of them. And um, as, as it's already been released, a lot of it was phone sex. Mm-hmm. Um, me knowing Vicky, uh, personally, you know, it's kind of an awkward to hear those types of conversations. Um, so I go to Chris Conley and I said, Hey, uh, you've got a new intern over there. And he said, I do. And I said, well, I've got a job for her. <laughs> <laughs> so this little girl was all 19 years old. So I made her listen to all the phone calls and to give notes back on me, which ones, you know, I need to go back and listen to. So I think I've scarred that girl for life. Right. So that's August by November. Vicki White skips her family Thanksgiving dinner. This is the first time that uh, anybody becomes suspicious about Vicky's behavior. Right. Um, you know, and that's what it comes from the family. She had never, you know, missed a Thanksgiving, missed a Christmas. You know, holidays and family was always very important to her. Right. But this time she, she just totally skipped the family Thanksgiving dinner. For the first time in 56 years. Correct. Right. So the family's... Bewildered, you right. know, um, why I don't feel good, that type of thing, when when they knew something was wrong, but they didn't know, couldn't put their finger on it. And did they know that she had a boyfriend no, of they, sorts? No, they, they did not know anything. Um, matter of fact, uh, her mother had later told me that uh, Vicky had actually made a comment about Casey because he was in the paper and saying, I want you to look at this guy, you know. What what a you know terrible situation that type of thing and she said I never really thought nothing of it, um, but but no but nothing no never never no indication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Casey's family they were aware of Vicky they, they we could tell uh, through the interviews and whatnot that they started communicating after the the first when he left for Donaldson the first time back in November of 2020. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's when his family started communicating with Vicky. Right. So February comes, Vicki White suddenly, I guess she wants to downsize, she tells people. Yes. Vicki White signs a contract to put her home up for auction. Yes, so she goes to a, a auction company here that does specializes in real estate. Uh, she goes there and tells them that she wants to put her home up for auction. Uh, they start going through some you know, options and stuff with her and how to, how to market it. And, and she tells them, I just want it on the, right. I want it auctioned, I want it quickly. I just want to get it over with. I've got to downsize. Um, and so she do, she foregoes a lot of uh, steps other people take in, you know, making sure it's marketing correctly, right. you know, stuff like that. And most people don't put their home up for auction. No, no. So this is an unusual move. And apparently she started giving her stuff away. That is correct, yes. She started giving Another a lot of stuff. Another red flag. Yeah, she started giving some stuff away. So of course, she said she was moving back in with her mother. 
Um, she's told some people that she wanted to eventually move to the beach. Um, you know, she didn't need that big old place all by herself. Gave different reasons to different people. Um, but, yeah, she started giving stuff away, which, you know, was a huge red flag to us. But I guess those, you know, family members, stuff like that, it didn't exactly it didn't exactly uh, trigger any, you know, huge flags. Uh, but they started being more and more concerned. Mm-hmm. And on a personal level, you maintain a lovely dark complexion. <laughs> Thanks to Vicky White, yes? I do, yes. Um, one of the things Vicky had uh, given to um, a friend, uh, an associate that I also work with, was a, a tanning bed. So uh, after uh, Vicky passed away, that person said, I just can't look at it. Um, and she said, I want somebody to have it that knew Vicky. And so I now have Vicky's tanning bed. So. Mm-hmm. He uses it too. Obviously. I do use it. Yes, yes. I do yeah. use it. Yes. Uh-huh. So also in February, Vicky attends an adult novelty and basically sex toy demo with her coworkers. Yes. Which would seem to indicate she has some kind of a boyfriend, but nobody seems to be aware of it. So when I started my investigation, one of the things I had to do was interview all the people at the jail, all the all the uh, employees, um, and I interviewed several. Um, that were at this party. And first of all, that's an awkward conversation to have with your coworkers about a sex toy party. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have to have that conversation. But, you know, they did report that, you know, she did uh, buy, I guess we're going to say items typically for a man. Um, okay. And so, you know, they, they <laughs> one of them even asked uh, Vicky about, you know, uh, who you buying that for. And she indicated that she had somebody in Louisiana, you know, that uh-huh. uh, she's seen every now and then, but never would elaborate any more than that. Right. As we accumulate red flags, she sells her house for 95000 95, in February. And yes. Casey White, toward the end of February, on February 24th, actually, Casey White returns to Lauderdale County. Interesting fact, it was actually the same, same day. day. Yeah, yeah the, the, the day the auction ended is the day Casey White was returned to Lauderdale County uh, because at that time the murder trial for Connie Ridgeway was, was about to happen in a few months. So his lawyers had requested him to come back to Lauderdale County to give them better access to Casey. So it, just coincidentally, it was all the same day. The, right. the day the home closed or the, the auction ended is the day that Casey was booked in back into our jail. Have you made the switch to Nick's? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but... Feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles. From bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's Nix.com, promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X.com. And now we know that from August when he went back to Donaldson 
to February 24th when he returned, how many phone calls occurred? It was over 900 phone calls. It was several. It was over 900, almost 1,000 phone calls. So there is a full-blown relationship. At this point, yes, it is a full-blown relationship. And how did she arrange to talk to him? Obviously, she wasn't too concerned that people would recognize her voice. Yes. So first of all, uh, when somebody calls a, a jail or the jail inmate calls somebody, you know, they there's a phone number, obviously, that we will see who they called. Um, so she didn't use the phone number that we knew Vicky had. She used what we call a burner phone or mm-hmm. the Batgirl phone. Right. Um, so she she did use that, and then but he would never call her Vicky. You know, he would always he had a nickname for her, uh, which was Pen Pal. Um, when especially when talking to other family members, he would ask, "Hey, I talked to my Pen Pal today," or "Have you talked to my Pen Pal?" But you know, they would never mention her. You know, by name. And what would he? How would he address her? In the calls, um, he never would address her by name. Uh, he would he would say every now and then, you know, "How's my wife today?" Stuff like that. Uh-huh. But never would address her by name. And, right. And look, obviously, we know she was going down an emotional black hole. Absolutely. Do you feel, after listening to some of the calls, that he had any emotional attachment to her, or was he playing her? Uh, I believe he was playing her. I like from the outside looking in, you know, it appeared that he was probably playing her. I don't think, you know, with her being on the inside, she couldn't see that quite as well as, you know, she had the blinders on. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I just listened just to one phone call out of all of those, and right away you can hear Casey complimenting her, her physique, like that's – and then it's, hey, did you do this for me? Correct. So, right. I, I mean, he knew what he was doing. Right. Uh, complimenting her. Right. Okay. So she continues to accumulate money, more red flags. She sells a 2017 Ford Escape for 17500 Yes. at the end of March. And then in April, her home closes for $46,000. Well, I want to touch on the uh, home sale closing. I think it was February 24th is when the auction ended. Right. And Vicky actually didn't get a check until April the 18th, which is a pretty good amount of time, you know, for the, you know, the home to close everything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Vicky was that type that would, she was never like a yeller screamer, got angry. But during those, the week before the check came, she got very, very upset about why her check has not arrived yet. And she would be ranting about it, screaming about it to family members, to, to coworkers. And so to me, that was another red flag that Vicky had of all of a sudden now why she's stressing about, you know, this, this money from her house and she's staging cars around the local area and goes into the office to print out some personal information on various people that have been in the Lauderdale County Detention Center yeah so you know that was on April the 24th one of the first things I did when I started the the criminal investigation into it was I wanted to know what Vicki had looked at on our computer databases. We have a way to audit those, so mm-hmm. I had an audit conducted. Um, and so that's when I noticed that on that on that Sunday, the 24th, she had came in and started looking up numerous people, uh, numerous names in the system. There was a few that may have been inmates, but most of the people that she looked up that day were not inmates. Mm-hmm. They were just people who were not even in jail. They had just, you know, maybe filed rec reports or something like that. So... Uh, one of the names she had looked up that day was one of the names that she'd used later on to buy the Ford Edge. Uh-huh. That was the next day. She purchases a 2007 Ford Edge for 
$5,600 in cash. Correct. And she used one of the names that she had looked up the previous day in, right. in the computer system. Renee Marie Maxwell. Correct. Okay. She's got a different car. She's accumulating cash. And then on April 26th at 8.45 in the morning, Vicky orders another correctional deputy to remove Casey White from his cell and place him on the bench for transport to the courthouse. And she says that she will place the shackles on him. Is that a red flag? It is, it is a red flag. You know, normally, you know, a director, assistant director, or something, he doesn't, it's not going to go through the, uh, uh, the, the menial task of putting the shackles on the inmate. Right. But when I went back and looked at the uh, surveillance footage uh, from that instant, I noticed that she had placed on the, on the shackles, she had placed the keyholes in the up position facing up um, on the ankles and, and facing kind of out on the, uh, on the wrist. And is that a shackling no-no? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You always want keyholes down. You know, you want to be able to access the keyholes. Uh-huh. Uh, so she had faced them out to where it looks like maybe he could access them right. if he wanted to. Right. So that, that was another red right. flag. And then at 9.13, Vicki and Casey leave the jail, and she, according to the video, does not appear to exercise any safety precautions. Absolutely not. She's walking in front of Casey, which is another, you know. You do not walk in front of an inmate? Never. Period. Never. And Vicki is also wearing uh, a holster. She's armed. She is actually armed. You know, policy in every jail, you know, across America, you know, you do not carry a firearm into a jail. Law enforcement doesn't. Nobody does. But she did, you know, in that video, have her gun uh, in her holster. Right. And he's behind her, so he, you know, potentially could make a a play for that gun had there not been the relationship. Absolutely. Right. Now, if she was trying to hide it, wouldn't you have thought that she would be smart enough not to do something so obvious as to have him, a a capital murder suspect, walk behind her? Well, obviously, we know now that what her plans was. She wasn't afraid of him, and she kind of let her guard down, and it, she's probably thankful that nobody picked up on it, but right. most people would see that like, hey, what are you doing? You got to be, you know, officer safety comes first, right? Right. She was so comfortable around him, you saw no officer safety right. around him. So these are all red flags that would oh, present certainly. themselves to anyone who's looking for them, but given her stature and the respect that she garnered in the community, nobody's looking for him. Nobody's no, nobody questioned anything Vicky ever done. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was that well-respected, you know, that admired. So she takes him out of jail to the courthouse and returns nine minutes and 35 seconds later. That's her story, yes. When asked, Casey says that it turned out to be the wrong day for his mental evaluation. Yes. So another thing is on that day when she returns with him to the jail, Normally, when you bring an inmate back into the jail, they always go back through the booking area. She avoided the booking area altogether when she brought him back. And the reason we believe she done that was, was there was actually two sworn deputies in the booking area booking an inmate in the jail at that time. Right. So she had to skip that area altogether because they would have seen her with Casey, then she would have been busted right there on the spot. And what would they have seen? It was... Was Vicky supposed to bring a capital murder suspect? No, Vicky was not allowed to transport. She was not a sworn law enforcement, you know, certified okay. deputy. Okay. She wasn't allowed to. And Casey's six foot nine. You know, he's very well known. So the deputies would immediately recognize, you know, why is Vicky transporting a murder okay. suspect? So not only can she not transport a murder suspect, but she certainly can't 
transport a murder suspect alone? Absolutely not. No, she's not even allowed to be, you know, outside the facility, you know. Okay. Did you ask those deputies, like, if they saw anything or? Yeah, they didn't. They were were inside booking and booking the guy in. And, you know, of course, they didn't even remember until I showed them the video. um, Right. So more red flags. Absolutely. So the next day, April 27th, Vicky passes out commissary to inmates in cell A-1 only. And that is the one that happens to house Casey White, the pet cell. And jail footage shows that a yellow note was passed from Casey to Vicky. There are other ways that are a little bit more interesting in which Casey and Vicky communicated. Yes. So Vicky was in charge of numerous areas, not only the commissary, but one thing was legal mail. An inmate can write legal mail to their attorneys, um, and they write on their legal mail the attorney's name, and then it will go to the attorney. If it's legal mail, guards are not allowed to inspect it. You know, that, that's, that's privileged communication between them and their attorney. Mm-hmm. Casey uh, was on a almost daily basis getting in legal mail from his attorney and legal mail going out to his attorney. It was after I looked at it. It was a, a lot of legal mail, mm-hmm. more than you would normally see on any between any inmate and you know attorney. So I did ask the attorney, you know, how many times did you receive legal mail or send legal mail to Casey? And you know, they only sent legal mail one time to Casey. So that means that Vicky had that where she could put on their legal mail um, going to Casey and, and vice versa. And Vicky was in charge of delivering the legal mail to you know the post office or wherever. So she would see those mail, that bill from Casey, and of course she knew that was a letter to her. Right. So that was a pretty ingenious way to communicate. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Above um, scrutiny. Yeah. Nobody else could have done that except you know Vicky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the next day, on April twenty eighth, Vicky reads a list of three inmates that need to go to court the next day. She assigns two to other deputies and keeps Casey for herself since he is on a murder charge. She's the only one who should be handling him. That. So she's talking some to some guards who, who, at the time, now remember everything has changed since then, but at that time, we did allow some, some jailers at the jail to transport uh, low-level inmates to court. Uh, so she lives, uh, she reads off three names. Uh, she says, y'all will take these two inmates to court at, you know, I think it was 930 or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, she, and she says, but this one's a murder suspect. I won't have to take him. Y'all aren't allowed to take him. They didn't question Vicky, and and uh, and they were fairly new employees on top of it, also. So they really didn't know no better. Right. She, they just, you know, Vicky was their boss, and so she said she was doing this. So okay, boss. Right. Got it. And then the next day, April twenty eighth, Vicky submits her retirement paperwork. Now you had heard rumors that she might be retiring, and you spoke to her about that. Yeah, the last conversation that I actually had with Vicky was probably. About a week prior to the escape, uh, I seen Vicky outside the courthouse, and I asked her. I said, "Vicky, I'm hearing rumors that you're you're leaving," and she said, "Yeah, Matt, I'm going. I think I'm retiring." And you know, me and her went back and forth, and we just had kind of like me and her had that relationship where we could joke around with each other. Mm-hmm. And I kind of gave her a hard time, and and I told her, I said, "Vicky, um, you know, you can't leave. You're crazy." And she said, "Matt, I I can't do it. Right. I, I can no longer do this. I'm burned out." Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, you know, that was a red flag I had to me that I really didn't see, you know, I mean, I just assumed she was burned out and ready to go to the house. Right. Um, so not unheard of after 16 years. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Th- th- we you get burned out in this job pretty, pretty easily mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, 
So later that night at 6 p.m., Vicky goes to her parents' house for dinner. She takes her dog for a ride. She packs some clothes and loads them into a patrol car. And that's the last time her parents see her. That's the last time her mom and daddy seen her. Absolutely. That brings us to D-Day, April yes. 29th, 2022. Yes. Vicky and Casey put their plan into action. They leave the jail at 9.31 a.m. Now, in the other podcast we did with the marshals, we detail everything about the manhunt and everything that, right. that happened. So we're not going to go back into that. But at 9.31, they leave the jail. At 11.30, people at Lauderdale County Detention Center notice they're missing and they can't locate them. A couple of hours later, at 3.30 p.m., the sheriff's office is notified. Yes. And that's where you come into play. That Friday was actually my off day. I had come in. Um, it was a relatively quiet day. I think I had court that day. And I messed up and said something that we never say in law enforcement. This is a quiet day. Yeah. It's a relaxing Nothing's day. Nothing's going on. This is great. <laughs> so Thought you could have something. Yes. So... I come in, I do a few things around the office. Like I said, it was my off day, so... Wait a second. You come in on your off day? I did come in on my off day. Well, yeah, I had court uh, also. Wait a second. I'm sorry. He had court. Scotty, yeah, I had court. how often do you come in on your off day? If I've got to <laughs> do something that my wife's telling me and I want to hide, I go in. Okay. So you obviously So quite quite a bit. So you go in quite a bit on your <laughs> right, off day. Yeah, right. Okay. So since it was such a slow day and nothing was going on, I mm -hmm. decided since it's my off day and I'm here at work, I'm taking off a little early now and I'm going home. Right. So I talked to my office partner. Um, I said, hey, are you going to be here? Because there was really nobody else in the office at that time. He said, yeah, I'll hang around for a little bit. And I said, well, I'm gone. I'll see you later. So I'm driving home, and um, the lieutenant over investigations, who is now our chief deputy, um, he, very calm, cool, collect guy, low-key. Uh, he calls. I answer the phone, and I hear panic in his voice. And I hear him, you know, he says, are you at the courthouse? Get to the security cameras right now. I said, well, I'm, I'm not there. I'm headed home. And then click, he hangs up. I'm like, well, that's not like him. So a couple of minutes goes by, and I call him back, and I said, hey, man, you know, what's what's going on? He said, uh, <clears throat> so a couple of minutes later, I call him back, and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? And he said, who is at the office right now? And I said, well, my, my partner is Brandon. He said, Vicky and Casey is missing. I'll call you back in a couple of minutes. Click again. And so, at first, I didn't know who Casey was. You right. know, I, I'm not thinking Casey White. Right. I'm like, who? What inmate worker or what uh, corrections officer do we have named Casey? I don't know any Casey's or you know whatever. Mm -hmm. So you know, a couple of minutes then call he calls me back, and then that's when I find out the full detail of what's going on, and I find out it's Casey White. So you got to remember how well and how high you know highly. We thought of Vicky, so I immediately turn around and I'm panicking. You know, I've got a capital murder suspect, uh, on, you know, who has kidnapped a a decorated, you know, corrections officer, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the worst is going through my mind. Mm -hmm. And I start running the scenarios through my head, and I, you know, tears come to my eyes. I'm I'm fearful for Vicky, so I. I immediately find out what Vicky's address is, um, and it was on my way to the courthouse. So at that point, I'm like, let me just make sure there's not some, you know, mix-up, something like that. And she's actually at home just chilling, drinking a beer right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I swing by her, her house, and 
you know, there, there's no patrol car there. The patrol car's not there, um, which I didn't know that at the time, but her, her Ford SUV was not there. So at that point, I became even more worried. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, shortly thereafter, um, that's when we found the patrol car at the uh, Academy parking lot. And so myself and my office partner arrived there, and uh, that began the investigation, so to speak. Right. So. And everybody is obviously in a frenzy. There's a controlled chaos probably yes. about the situation. I, I, you know, I jump out of my vehicle. I run up to the patrol car. Um, and within looking just the few seconds of looking inside that window, my heart sank. I knew then that Vicky had, you know, broke Casey out of jail. The how the uh, driver's seat was was scooted, you know, up for a shorter person. And like I said, Casey's six foot nine. Vicky's was, you know, what five foot one on a good day. Okay. Um, you know, there was no, Casey wasn't driving the car. Um, I knew there was no way that you know he had a, access to a gun. Um, the little window partition between the front and the back, Casey's is not fitting through it. And then in the back seat lay the handcuff key and a, a set of his jail slides. Uh, so there was no way, you know, he, even if, and, and, the, and I also checked to make sure the doors were working properly, that you couldn't open the doors from the inside and mm-hmm, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, there was no way he could have got out of that back seat unless Vicky let him out of that back seat. So it wasn't like, you know, he was holding a knife to her throat, something like that. You know, Vicky was in on it. Right. And I knew that immediately. And with that shocking realization, That's where we're going to have to leave episode three of this five-part series. In episode four, you'll hear very different details about the search for Casey and Vicky than we've covered in the Marshall's manhunt. You'll also hear letters written by Casey to his relatives that were found in the car after the apprehension. As far as we know, it's a Chasing Evil exclusive. Thanks very much to Chris Connolly, the DA of Lauderdale County, Scotty from the Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force, and Sergeant Matt Burbank from the Lauderdale County Sheriff's Office. As always, please help us spread the word about Chasing Evil. Tell your friends, leave us a glowing review, and of course, give us a five-star rating. We would truly appreciate it. And finally, Chasing Evil is produced with the cooperation of the United States Marshals Service and contains interviews with current and retired employees as well as other persons. Opinions, positions, and views expressed by any of them may not reflect the official views, positions, or policies of the United States Marshals Service. Be safe, everyone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.